Well, good morning, Gateway. It is good to be with you. I want to make sure we welcome not only everybody here at our North Campus, but those at Pflugerville and Buda, Central Austin, South Austin, those hanging out in Dripping Springs, everybody online. If you're in the room at North, we welcome all of our campuses who are here with us today. So good to have you. And, and to be with you over the last few months, Libby and I have been able to visit every campus, and it's been great. It's been great to meet so many new people and see some old friends. Uh, but we are in this Christmas season as we talk about make room, and, and there's a reason we didn't say there is room. Uh, we talked about, we're talking about making room, because if there just was room, uh, everybody would just make room. Uh, but the truth is it takes work and intentionality to truly be hospitable to others, and to create a, a time and space in our own lives for what God might want to do in our own lives, in our own hearts, and how he might want to use us to make a difference in others. So as we are in this Christmas season, we will ramp up to Christmas Eve. Uh, and and our, our webpage for uh, Christmas is all, already up, gatewaychurch.com forward slash Christmas. If you want to know the service times for your campus and all the information you need uh, in this Christmas season. And we do hope that you invite friends and family with you. It's going to be a great time as we learn together, uh, as we challenge one another, and as we keep our eyes focused on Christ in this season. Today is the first day of Advent. It's a time that we anticipate. It's our heart anticipating uh, the birth of Christ. And, and I know that can feel weird for some people because, well, Christ already came and we already celebrate Christ every single year, but... It's less about God knowing what he did through his son Jesus, and it's more of a season of us preparing our hearts and our minds, our homes, our apartments, the people that we have relationship with, anticipating the work of God through his son Jesus, God Emmanuel with us. And so when you hear that word Advent, it's not some old word used by only mainline churches. No, it's, it's a word that all of us, who are followers of Jesus, and all of us who are exploring faith really need to understand that today begins officially on the calendar, a time where I prepare my heart to make room, which is what we're going to do today. But I wanted to ask you a question. You know, you guys know I love questions. Uh, have you ever had a plan that really didn't go according to plan? Uh, some of you are big time planners. If you're in the room or watching online or at a campus, how many of you are highly organized and you have a plan for everything? Raise your hand. Come on. It's okay. Raise your hand. If the person you know sitting next to you is a planner, raise your hand. Nothing, no, nothing to be ashamed for, about for that. But how many know that some of us are not planners? If you're not a planner, you're like, oh, I take every day as it comes. Raise your hand. You know, it's just, every day is an adventure. Yeah. All right. All right. Totally get it. Why do some of us do that? Some of us do that because we're not organized. Some of us do that because we know inevitably we make a plan and it's not going to happen according to plan. So why plan? Why get ready? And yet that happens all the time. I mean, how many times do you plan on going to a restaurant, but you didn't plan on the street in front of the restaurant being shut down? How many times have you planned a trip or a vacation, maybe to a Disney park, and you didn't know there were going to be 10,000 little girls there for a cheerleading competition? <laughs> and you don't care, you're still throwing the elbows, making your way in line. I don't care who you are. This is my vacation. I don't care if your hair is up and you all look the same with the ribbon in your hair. I'm at Disney. 
You know what I'm talking Have you ever had a great idea to meet some friends or have a date, and you're finally going to go to that favorite restaurant in downtown Austin, and you didn't realize there's a UT football game? It happens, right? Because we have plans and yet there are diversions. And yet I wonder, how do we respond to diversions? Do we get angry? Do we just, ah, whatever happens is going to happen. Oh, you know what? Maybe I'm not going to go to the restaurant. I'll go find the, the, you know, the latest, greatest taco stand next to it. Like, how do we respond to diversions? And really, that's what today is about. How do we respond when things maybe don't go our way? So we're going to read a story out of Luke chapter 2. We're going to read 20 verses, and it's going to be the full story of Luke's uh, 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 adaptation of what's happening in Bethlehem when Jesus is being born. So here we go. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Verse 2. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and it was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause you great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Imagine you're minding your own business. And an angel appears to you. Some of you are like, yeah, that's happened to me. I'm sure it has. It's never happened to me. And then suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary, Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Here's the next question I really want us to understand and dive into for today. What do we do when the expected arrives in an unexpected way? What do we do when the expected arrives in an unexpected way? You're going to hear about it next week. Next week's message is understanding the history and how Christ arrived. And so we know, looking back at Scripture, that Christ was coming. It was foretold. And yet we didn't necessarily know how Christ was going to come. And they didn't understand it. So what do we do when the expected comes in an unexpected way? And 
And you have Joseph. Three, three main characters in this passage, Joseph and Mary and the shepherds. And you have Joseph feeling the responsibility not only to return back to his hometown and to participate in the government census, but to take care of his wife, who, who was now in, in, uh, having a baby and all the responsibility that comes with that in a town where nobody cares if they're there. And then you have Mary who's feeling the physical responsibility of carrying Jesus. And she's traveling near the end of her pregnancy, which nowadays would never happen. Nowadays, if, if you find yourself pregnant and you go to the doctor, they'll let you know from this point on, you should not travel. But she finds herself traveling according to the government decree. She knows she's carrying this promised child and she's in a town Bethlehem that is not ready to meet the needs she might have in order to give birth. And then we have the shepherds who, who are not expecting anything. I mean, they're just minding their business. They're on the outskirts of town. They're not even in town. They're just living out in the country. Like so many of you have like moved out of Austin or outside of the largest towns and you're moving to smaller towns and you want more land. I don't know what it is. I don't know if I'm just getting older. I used to love living in a neighborhood. And the other day I had an Person getting older moment. I looked at my wife and I said, I think we need more land. She's like, we do? I was like, I don't know if I like having neighbors anymore. She's like, you're a pastor. I know. I love my neighbors. They're great people. But I think I need a little bit more buffer between me and the people I love. And they were out in the middle of nowhere, just doing their own thing, not worrying about the hustle and bustle and the cramped quarters of a town. And yet, the angel shows up to them and they are given the honor of being witnesses to the greatest birth of all time and to witness the birth of humanity's salvation. And yet all three of these parties are part of our story, a story that we look back on and so can I propose to you today, in order for us who were not there at the live birth, who were not there right after the birth, but in order for us to see Jesus correctly, can we learn from these characters? Can we learn from these people who are so vital to the story? And could I propose to you that in order to see Jesus rightly, it takes humility, it takes faithfulness, and a willingness to make room. In order for us to see Jesus rightly, it takes humility, faithfulness, and a willingness to make room. So first one, we are challenged to walk in the humility of Jesus. And so to learn about this humility, one of the, my favorite passages to point back to is actually going forward to the book of Philippians. And in Philippians chapter two, here's how Jesus is described. And how we're supposed to model our lives like Christ. In your relationships with one another. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Verse 6. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Jesus, the Son of God, took on human form and then humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, 
even death on a cross. There's a few more verses there that we're not going to dive into today, but it's this, this mind, this attitude that I have come to serve. I've come to make a difference with others, and I've come and I'm going to take on this act of obedience, even death on a cross. And if that's the standard for us, how do we shift how we currently look at our mindset, how we look at our importance, how we look at the people around us and learn from it? But we have to understand that this mindset and this heart of Christ's humility didn't start with the act of going to the cross. Christ's humility started right here in Luke chapter 2 and what we just read, that he was born in a manger. He was born where nobody made room for him. He was born in a town where nobody seemingly cared if he was ever going to exist. That's where his journey of humility began. And what did this mean for our characters in the story? For Joseph and Mary and the shepherds. For, for Joseph, it meant he had to accept the lowly quarters Mind you, he, he's a man. He's trying to, he, to take on responsibility for his wife who is pregnant and his newborn child who's about to come into the world. And he's trying to really lead well and all he has available are the lowly quarters of a stable. That's what we see depicted. There's some theologians, or many theologians actually, who would say that Jesus wasn't even born in a stable. It may have been more like a cave. A hole in the wall where animals were kept. This humble beginnings, and yet Joseph could have fought for a better room. He could have fought and tried to, to negotiate, to have a spot, and say, well, my wife is pregnant. Do you not understand? I need to take care of my family. Do you not understand that we're going to have a baby? And yet he, in humility, accepted what was available to him. Wasn't even a guest space. Wasn't even a guest room. Do you know what it's like? You remember when you were younger and you did sleepovers? Because if you're in your 50s doing sleepovers, that's weird. All right. But if you remember when you were younger and you would do sleepovers and you could really tell if somebody wanted you to stay the night or not? You're talking to your friend and they're like, hey, why don't you stay the night? Okay, let me ask my mom. And they go to their mom and mom A says, oh, that would be awesome. We have extra sheets and blankets and we can, you can sleep on the couch. Oh yeah, let me call your mom, make sure it's good. And you feel so welcome and warm like it's a second home. Then you have dad. Dad's like, I don't know. What do you think your mom would say? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. We got a lot going on. You know, yeah, I guess. I mean, if you have nowhere else to go and you're eight years old. <laughs> you sure you don't have a backup plan? And you're looking at this adult who doesn't want you to stay in their home. You can feel the difference. The tangible difference of having a hotel room and being asked to keep your pregnant wife and potential newborn in the backyard in a hole in the wall. And yet Joseph had to succumb to a humility in these quarters. And then you have Mary. She's the one actually carrying the child. She's the one who has to accept, oh my gosh, we have nowhere to go. And I'm sure she gave Joseph an earful. I can only imagine. This is not in Scripture. Let me make this very clear for all of you theologians. This is not in Scripture. 
But I'm sure she was like, really? I'm carrying this baby and you can't get us a room? I mean, the least you can do is get us a room. I will do the rest of it. I will push this baby out. I will raise this baby. I will breastfeed this baby. I just need you to get me a room, Joseph. (laughs) You're like, Mary would never say that. No, because Halo Mary just floats in the earth. (laughs) Have you ever been around a person about in labor? I have two broken fingers to show you what it's like. (laughs) Not really. It just felt like it. She had to succumb to this understanding that the promise inside of me is more important than the promise of comfort. That what I am carrying is more important than where I will lay my head to sleep. She had to understand that. She had to humble herself and say, there's no place for me. There is no midwife. I'm I'm by myself and I'm going to give birth and place this baby in a manger. Do you know what a manger is? Yeah, a manger is like this, this wooden thing that has hay and the baby goes in it. No. You know what a manger is? A manger is a feeding trough for animals. Imagine... There's, there are animals eating from a trough. And Joseph has to fight off all the animals to try to make some sort of bed there for baby Jesus to lay down. And Mary's having to watch this entire thing. And some of us won't even let our friends hold our babies. And Mary had to humble herself to the point where she would say, I'm going to give birth here and I'm going to do it. And there's something amazing that happens. There's a switch that goes off. Uh, My my wife, Libby, our first child, you know, her mom gave birth to all of her children uh, with no drugs. No drugs. She just popped them out. She's super Mary. Mary Wilson, I can do anything in the world. And so Libby, you know, is we're, we're young and dumb. And she's like, if my mom can do it, I can do it. I'm like, yeah, babe, you can do it. It'll save us $1,000 too. So you can do it, honey. You can do it, babe. I believe in you. So she's about to have our son, Carlos, and, 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 and she's, she's like, you know, she's getting right there. And she's like, forget that. I want the drugs right now. I was like, but it's $1,000. I want the drugs. I don't care about $1,000. Doctor comes around. It's a long story. It's a funny story. And I'm not going to tell you what happens. Doctor comes around. It's past the point where she can have her epidural. Yes. Isn't it awful? Awful. You want the true story? It was my fault. She finds it funny now. I promise. I have to look at my wife who's ready to deliver and is ready for the drugs to look at her and say, they cannot give you the epidural. It's too late. And my wife, I was afraid for my life, but my wife, this is exactly, I I imagine Marion being like this. My wife, Libby, she's like, I'm ready for the drugs. I'm ready for the drugs. Honey, they can't give you the drugs. This is what she did. She went, let's do this. It's like Superwoman just came out. She was like, I don't need drugs. I don't need no stinking drugs. I'm going to push this baby out. 
See, there was this switch that went off because what she was carrying was more important in that moment than her comfort. And I wonder how many times do we succumb to the promise inside of us because we succumb to the comfort that will never bring the promise. It takes a humility. And then, I mean, the shepherds, I mean, they're just minding their business. You know what kind of humility it takes to show up at somebody's birth? Say, hey, I know this is weird and you just had a baby, but an angel told us to come here. They had to humble themselves to show up to the most amazing spectacle that was hidden from the rest of the world. See, true humility has a few components that are imperative for us if we're going to walk in it. The first one is this. We must see ourselves as God sees us. Nothing more, nothing less. You hear us say this quite a bit here at Gateway. Uh, Number two, we're only as humble as the people we serve around us. And then number three, we are humble when we, when we can walk in obedience without excuses. Imagine Mary saying, well, I don't have a hotel room, God. We can't have Jesus. <laughs> can you imagine the excuses we make? And we live in a culture that loves to eat up our excuses. We live in a culture that says, oh, you couldn't do that? Poor you. Poor you, I know, I know it's hard to get to work on time. I know. I know, COVID, COVID, what does COVID have to do with getting to work on time? I know, I know, it's so hard for you to do. See, we live in a world where there's so much empathy, and I love that part of our world, the growing empathy. But how many times has empathy gotten in the way of us doing the right thing? The right thing is the right thing, and sometimes the right thing is being humble. Number two, if we can somehow walk in humility, then number two, we are called to be faithful to what we know. We have to be faithful to what we know. And I really want to just encourage all of our friends who are at campuses watching online and in the room who are exploring faith, that you don't know what you don't know, and you sometimes can't even believe you're, you're coming to church right now, but I want you to know we're so glad you're here, and there's some things that you just don't know, and you're here to learn and to grow, and, and we want you to, to understand who Christ is and to accept Christ into your life. And for those of us who do know who Christ is, we're called to be faithful to what we know. So Joseph, he had to be faithful to his encounter with the Holy Spirit. And what we're going to share right now is the moments that Joseph and Mary and the shepherds had with God directly. So for for Joseph, it was in Matthew chapter 1. And here it says in verse 20. But after he had considered this, and what he's considering is Mary has been, the Holy Spirit descended on Mary, caused her to be pregnant, which is a whole different message. Joseph finds out she's now pregnant, not by him. And of course, he's freaking out. And instead of divorcing her or in public shaming her, decides to be with her and at a later date he will leave her. Because Joseph's a regular dude. I mean, can you imagine your spouse or significant other or somebody in your life saying, hey, I don't know what happened, but I think God showed up in my room and I'm pregnant. And most of us would be like, yeah, whatever. You know, I'm, gonna, I'm moving on. I like your story. 
but I'm not going to be here for it. And that's where we find Joseph. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Jesus. Notice Jesus is born and he walked in faithfulness and gave him the name that he dreamt about. He was faithful to what he knew. Then you have Mary who also has her own encounter in Luke chapter one. And the angel told her, don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will become pregnant, give birth to a son and name him Jesus. He will be a great man and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestors, David, and your son will be king of Jacob's people forever and his kingdom will never end. She has this encounter She now knows she's called. She now knows the plan. She now knows the name. And she is now walking in faithfulness to what she knows. So Joseph is being faithful to his encounter. Mary is being faithful to her encounter. And the shepherds, oh my gosh, Luke chapter 2. We read this part already. But I want you to walk, listen to their faithfulness. When they, had heard, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Listen right here. The shepherds could have shown up and said, oh my gosh, it's true. There's this baby. It must be from God. How amazing. We cannot believe it. The angels and all of the hosts of heaven, it is true. This light we saw was not just our imagination. It is true. Jesus is born. What's for dinner? That's not what they did. They encountered the truth and then they went and spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And when they spread that word, people were amazed. And how many times do we have an encounter or God speaks to us or God is moving in us or we find healing in something or we attend an inspire service and something really gets our heart and we forget about it over lunch. And yet faithfulness comes from this deeply rooted knowing that God is for you and in you and moving in us and cleaning us and and using us to make a difference in others. See, there is a faithfulness to walking out what we know. Humility, faithfulness. And number three, we must have a willingness to make room. See, all these parties involved could have been humble, could have been faithful, but still fall in the trap like the city of Bethlehem. A city that was busy, a city that had culture, a city that was filled with people because of the government decree and had the same distractions around the whole town that nobody made room for a coming savior, not even a bedroom. And yet... Joseph, Mary, and the shepherds all had to carve out 
room. They had to make room to encounter this experience. They had to let go of personal preferences and their comforts in order to experience Jesus in all of his humility in a manger. Yes, they had to be humble and yes, they had to be faithful, but they also had to be willing. And and you know what? One of the things I love about our church is there's thousands of people who are willing. We've heard already as we go into our life-by-life season, making a difference all around the world. I mean, I wish you could just experience what happens when we call a missionary and we tell them we can help fund that project. Or we call a church planter and we say, here's some money so you can plant a church in a city that needs to hear about Jesus. Or, or we call somebody around the world and we say, we can help you build that hospital or feed those kids. Like how amazing that is when we rally together and we call life by life. And for us, sometimes we can experience this, well, how am I going to come up with an extra $100? Or how do I come up with $10? Or how do I go beyond and, and do this? And yet it's more than just giving funds. It's about us understanding that we're called to be humble and faithful and willing. And this booklet right here, As you receive this at all of our campuses, it'll be available over this next year until we do the next Life by Life. It's page after page of people who are willing to leave their comforts to go somewhere around the world so people can know the love of Jesus. And you get to hear their stories. You get to see what they're praying about. You get to participate in this. Why? Because all of us have to have a willingness in us. What are you and I willing to do? And sometimes if we're not careful, we just say, well, I came to church today. I clicked online and I clicked the link and I caught up with the message. And yet, do we not understand how much more God wants to use you and me to make a difference in the world? I know you may not see yourself that way, but that's how God sees you. You might see yourself as a person who was raised in a manger, raised in a back hole, raised where nobody saw you. And yet the promises in that humility, in that faithfulness, that obedience, in that willingness, God sees that and honors that. So, What do we do when the expected arrives in an unexpected way? How do we respond? Do we respond with humility? Do we respond with being faithful anyway? Do we respond with a willingness and a drive to persevere? Or do we cower to our plans faltering? Do we cower to the unexpected? See, the people of Israel wanted a savior. They wanted somebody to come and to save them, but they wanted royalty and they wanted power and they wanted nobility and they wanted status because that's what they were looking for. They were subjugated to the Roman Empire. So they wanted a savior who could have the power and strength of the Roman Empire in order to free them. And Jesus shows up in a manger. Just doesn't show up with nobility, doesn't show up getting ready to tear down strongholds and tear down, you know, the Roman Empire, he shows up and nobody's ready for him. See, when you're a child and you might see 
this, these, these plays, these, these, these children's plays, and they're cute and they're amazing, and, and they say something like, there's no room in the end. It's a, it's a popular phrase for the caretaker to look at Joseph and Mary in a kid's play and say, there's no room in the end, in the end. And the, the truth is, nobody's really slamming doors on Jesus. Nobody's saying, oh, you're carrying Jesus? No, you know what the problem in Bethlehem was? It's the same problem we face today in the busyness of our lives, in the frenetic pace, in the overcrowding of our schedules, in the tight budgets, we get weary. Our hearts shrink. The white noise begins to be the noise that we hear. We cannot hear the whisper if it's calling so we say things like, oh, come all ye faithful. Can we truly hear it? Oh, come all ye faithful. Oh, come all who are humble. Oh, come who are going to be trustworthy. Oh, come all those who, who are going to be faithful to God. Oh, come all those who have a willingness in their heart. Because a song is written to these three groups of people who model for us what it's like to truly see Christ, oh, come all you who are faithful. Oh, come all you who are broken. Oh, come all you who are rich. Oh, come all you who are poor. Oh, come all you who have different colors of skin. Oh, come all you who speak different languages. Oh, come you who just want to be faithful to God through his son, Jesus. And in our humility, in our faithfulness to doing what's right, and our willingness to push back what everybody else tells us is right, we get to show up and experience Christ. So here's what we're gonna do it today. At all of our campuses, we're gonna experience Christ two, in two ways this morning. One, we're gonna, we're gonna sing this song with new context. Oh, come all ye faithful. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to join with us. Join with those singing on the stage in front of you. Oh, come all ye faithful. And number two, we're going to make room through singing and we're going to make room by remembering Jesus. We're going to break bread. We're going to take communion together. So just kind of settle in. We're on time. We're good. All right? We're going to make room through song and we're going to make room through communion. Let's pray for us. God, thank you for my brothers and sisters. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your humility, your faithfulness, your willingness to walk in obedience, even death on a cross. Thank you, Jesus. So today, would we be challenged and encouraged to do the same as we sing, as we remember you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.